Good to see everyone tonight. We want to make sure that Brother Martin gets all his time. I know it's good to see people we haven't seen for a while. And I don't, I don't know if you all know, but the seats in the front are actually softer because nobody hardly sits on them. So I'm just saying, you know, if you want to move this way. But Jerry Martin's with us. Uh, just some background information. He's the associate, an associate pre, uh, professor at Amridge University. Amridge used to be Southern Christian. Some of us may know it by that name. Uh, he's a licensed professional counselor. Uh, he has 40 years preaching experience, and he's now serving as the local preacher for the uh, Pine Street Church of Christ in Crossett, Arkansas. Uh, he and his wife, Denise, who is here with him, and she'll be having a class tomorrow uh, for the women, uh, have three sons, one daughter. They have 10 grandchildren. Uh, Brother Martin's earned a Ph.D. degree in marriage and family therapy from Amridge. Uh, he holds a Master of Science in Counseling and a B.A. in Bible from Amridge as well. Uh, he also attended the Memphis School of Preaching, and he does numerous uh, seminars and lectureships through the year, uh, throughout the year, dealing with marriage, uh, enrichment, conflict management, grief, leadership, and uh, various other topics associated with uh, marriage and um, counseling uh, situations. So we're pleased to have uh, Jerry Martin with us tonight. Brother Jerry. It's truly a delight for me to be with you. Denise and I have looked forward to this for uh, over a year. I don't know exactly how long ago it had been scheduled, but a, a ways back. Uh, before we begin, this is not a worship service or a religious service, but um, uh, I am a minister of the gospel. And any time that I'm present, I do this in my, my school work also, is uh, I'd like to go to God in prayer. If you bow with me, please. Holy Father, we truly are always humble to be in thy presence, fully conscious of thy holiness and our undone condition, overwhelmed with gratitude for thy love and the depth of thy love in sending thy Son, and for his love in providing of us redemption through the shedding of his blood. We're grateful, Father, for all the spiritual blessings that are possible in him. And we're grateful for this avenue of prayer that we know we have thy attentive ear as those who are redeemed by his blood. We express our gratitude and we also ask, Father, that thou would forgive us of any shortcomings we have as we recognize those and turn away from them in repentance. In our time this weekend, we pray that we be conscious of thy principles and thy purpose for our life and that we would concentrate on being the individuals we ought to be and having the relationships that we ought to have and, and strengthening our families the way that I designed for them to be strengthened. May our time together enrich our individual and family lives, but also in, enrich our fellowship. We pray, Father, that we'd be homesick for that place that awaits us there, for we ask in Christ Jesus' name, and amen. Brother Bob mentioned some of uh, my education. Let me just uh, give a disclaimer here. Um, I use those credentials in situations like this in case there are those that 
maybe don't really have a spiritual focus, um, and maybe sometimes assume that uh, those who do have a spiritual focus are not credentialed to deal with the matter. And I went back to school to get my degree, not to have a degree, but because I was a minister and people thought I knew how to counsel. And they brought their counseling issues to me. And I was overwhelmed. I was about 25 years old in my first work in a mission field, and people were, were bringing issues to me that I had no life experience for. Uh, I had a pretty good knowledge of the scriptures, and uh, God's word's always going to be the answer. But sometimes people are so emotionally distraught or their relationships are so dysfunctional that they're just not coherent enough to comprehend the scriptures. And so I recognize you're going to have to get them coherent enough to understand things or they're never going to be able to be beneficiaries of God's design. So I went back to school just out of self-defense to say, look, I'm going to damage somebody, push them over the edge, and I'm going to be responsible because I don't have a clue of how to deal with their emotional states or I've never seen those kind of dysfunctions in relationships before. And uh, so that's why I sought the degree, not to impress anybody with any letters after my name, because here's what I've learned. I've been forced to read hundreds of books to get those degrees. I want you to listen carefully. There's not a principle in any of those books that works. Now, there are a lot of principles in the books that don't work, but there's not a principle in any of those books that work that's not a Bible principle. Now, those who wrote the book may not know that. I mean, they may have tried this and it didn't work, and they tried something else and it didn't work, and they tried something that, aha, this is what you do. And then they write the book, and we pay them <laughs> really good for those books. But you see, since I've been taught the scriptures all my life, in fact, my very earliest memories are of my mother reading the scriptures. So I've known it in some form all of my life. And it's encouraging, faith-building to me when I turn in those textbooks and those principles come forth to say, I've always known that. Now, I haven't always applied some of those things, but I've always known that. So I say that to you. So the things that we're talking about, even if I don't put a Bible verse with them, I want you to know that they are Bible principles. And our world needs folks who know the Bible principles. And they need those of us who are present to embody those principles, make application of them. If we do, we're going to have everything he desired for us to have individually and as couples and as families and as a people who are striving to please him. And so keep those things in mind. And what Denise and I will do this weekend is emphasize things that we've had to discover, um, we've had to apply, and we have to continue to apply to our marriage. I want you to know that. You, these are not magical things that we I can have a wand and just wave over you and everything's going to be okay. It's really hard work. And you really have to work hard to make sure that those things are carried out. But that's okay. You know, when God created the first couple, he placed them in the garden. And then he said, and we look back at that and think, wow, what it would have been like to be in the garden. Everything's brand new and everything has been pronounced good. And sometimes we read too fast to hear what he said. Now tend it and keep it. You've got to take care of it. I provided it for you. It's for your good and everything about it's good. But you've got to take care of it. You've got to tend it and keep it. Hopefully when this weekend is over, you'll have some things that you can tend and keep. That you can look at these principles and say, you know, that's, that's important for me to. It always helps to turn this on, that little 
the little clicker, I call it. So, just know that if I don't mention scriptures with these that they have a biblical background, we'll come back and, and look at, at some of those uh, Sunday morning. But if you go back and look at the real textbook, uh, you know, the textbook of life, you'll understand from Genesis chapter 2 that God had a design, and that design was for oneness. Maybe you've had experiences in growing up in your home, or, or maybe you've had experiences in your marriage, or, or maybe you have friends that, that you don't really recognize oneness. I mean, they're married, and the paper says they're married, but there's not much about that relationship that displays oneness. So we need to go back and say, how do we have that? What was it designed to provide? And we'll talk about that this weekend. And what I'm sharing with you now, just an overview of what we'll do over the next few sessions. And then what we'll do uh, after I do the introductions, we'll spend a little time with the specific part of communication that sets the tone for everything else we do. So when you get to Matthew chapter 19, we usually uh, spend most of our time there with the dysfunction of marriage, and that is when, when divorce occurs. But the important thing there is when the question was presented to the Lord, he took them back to the beginning. See, when there is a dysfunction or a malfunction, then we have to go back and say, well, what happened and what should we do? And when they posed questions to him and said, you know, uh, Moses allowed us to put away our wives for any cause and uh, wanting to know what he said. Their intentions were to trap him, but Jesus didn't fall for the trap. He said, have you not read? Now, where would they have read that? Well, they'd read that as it's recorded in the beginning. Have you not read that he which made them in the beginning made them male and female? And then he described that relationship that you can read about in Genesis chapter 2. So he refocused their minds, and that's what we, you and I will always need to do. When things don't go quite right, we need to go back and say, what did he say? Now, how do I apply what he said? That's not an oversimplification because that takes work. And we need to be aware that those things are just not going to change. Paul emphasized his power in Ephesians chapter 5. And when you look at that particular passage, and Denise and I uh, uh, are a little intimidated with Ephesians chapter 5 for this reason. Because it reminds us that our relationship as husband and wife is deeper than just I love Denise and I'm attracted to Denise and, and I want Denise to be my wife. Now that we've said I do, we get to represent Christ in his church. That's a serious matter, isn't it? Because when he describes how husbands are to love their wives and wives to be submissive to their uh, husbands, then he said, in the context, is Christ is the head of the church, the Savior of the body, gave himself for it. And so that relationship allows the two of us to represent our Lord to the world. That causes me to have to bite my tongue from time to time. The tone of voice that I would use with her or any selfish motives I might have in, in reference to her because when I look at if I'm supposed to have a relationship with her the way Christ has with the church, there wasn't anything selfish about his relationship with the church. He would just ooze with agape love because he was sacrificial toward her. So. If I'm going to have an opportunity to represent that to the world, if people look at us and they say, well, Jerry doesn't treat Denise that way, and he's a minister of the gospel, and so is there anything really true about the scriptures? So we take that seriously. 
that that's not only an opportunity, but that's our responsibility as a married couple, a Christian married couple, one who tries to encourage other people to be Christ-like, to demonstrate that Christ-likeness in our marriage. And so that's a little intimidating, isn't it? And you have to pause from time to time and say, would Christ treat the church that way? Or she might have to say, you know, should the church behave that way in their relationship with Christ? That solved a lot of our problem. And it certainly, you know, allowed me to correct a lot of mistakes in my life. And so I want to keep those in mind. One thing we'll look at, particularly Sunday morning in our Bible class, we'll, we'll drill down a little deeper in this, this aspect of it. But when you go back and look at that first couple and you see the, the individual oneness, you see too often we just kind of start with the couple. God didn't start with the couple. Do you know that? When we talk about marriage, well, well you know, he, he saw it wasn't good for man to be alone, but he allowed man to be alone for a while. I don't know how long, but long enough to name everything that God created and to absorb the fact that he was only one of his kind that existed. Everything else is paired up and produced after their kind, and Adam's only one of his kind. He had to really understand that. I think that's the part sometimes that we leave off, and we'll talk about some nuances of that in just a moment. But you have to deal with that individual oneness. If you're not whole, you know, Adam didn't have any shortcomings. You know, uh, he wasn't waiting for, for Eve to make him Adam. He was Adam, just like God wanted him to be. Everything that God wanted Adam to be, he was. And then, are you shocked that God put Adam to sleep before he made Eve? There was zero input from Adam to say, well, you know, if you're going to make me a helpmate, this is really what I'd like to have. Didn't get any input. When he woke up, he had a, another one of his kind, unique in herself, that we refer to as Eve. Adam referred to her as the mother of all living. He didn't get a choice to to dabble in that. That was God's design. She was a whole, complete, unique individual. Then what did he do? He put those two whole, complete individuals together in what we refer to as a marriage. I say all that to remind you that what I'm sharing with you in a real capsule form this weekend is are things that I share with people in premarital counseling and marital counseling over five to seven weeks. And I have material designed to accentuate every one of these areas so they read those together and they talk about what they've read and they pray to God about what they've read. And we'll talk about how I'll go about doing that some. But I get them back to say, are you whole? You know, we can deal with problems in our relationship, but we're never going to really solve them if we don't separate the individuals out and say, are you whole in your relationship with the Lord? Are you really who you need to be? And if you are, then you'll be able to handle whatever situation comes up. If you're not, the neat thing for us is, if we're not, we can become whole. Does that comfort you to say, well, if I'm, if I'm not everything I ought to be, I can become that. 
this is not a hopeless situation. So it's important for us to recognize that we're supposed to be whole and unique. Those two whole, unique individuals are kind of the spiritual genetics that make the relationship. We'll talk about that in a little bit more detail. And then uh, the inspiration for that oneness is the, is the spiritual uh, communication. How did Adam and Eve know how to communicate? Here's two grown people that God put together. You see, that first couple were empowered with all the knowledge God wanted them to have. He was able to name all the creation, so he had the capacity to exercise those things, to, to sort out between the different things of creation and, and to come to grips with the fact that he was the only one of his kind and, and now here's someone else of his kind. How are they going to communicate with each other? Just like God designed for them to communicate. There wasn't any Facebook, or, you know, there wasn't any uh, how-to books. You know, they just were programmed into them what God knew that they needed to communicate that way. We look at, at animals and their function, without, well, it's just instinct. Well, this was, this was greater than instinct. This is wisdom. Wisdom from God. And when you realize that that's the spiritual genetics God designed, you and I have that design. 2 Timothy chapter 2 says, uh, and verse 3 says, that all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now listen, that the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You'll know what to do. So it wasn't just built into us. We don't come into this world and have that knowledge, but the knowledge is available for us to have. And so that spiritual communication still is God-directed, and I want us to understand that. <clears throat> in the, I told you we'd drill down a little more in this, in that uh, first couple. Here's how we use it oftentimes in our modern society. Um, do you worship in a congregation uh, that uses the terminology, a singles group? Boy, where I've been, you know, we had singles group. You know who that is? And our definition of it is a group of unmarried people looking for somebody to marry. A singles group. I mean, isn't that how we define it in a, a spiritual environment? Let me tell you a little funny story. When I lived in Cordova, Tennessee, just out of Memphis, um, uh, I was in my office one day and, and when you understand my definition of this, I say my definition, the Bible definition of this, uh, and where I'm coming from, you'll know how I answered the phone. But I answered the phone, and he said he just moved to town, and he was looking for a church home. And he said, um, what size singles group do you have? And I said, mm, you know, congregation's about was about 2.30. And I said, about 2.30? He said, are you kidding me? 2.30? I'll be there Sunday. And... Uh, so I knew, I knew our, our communication, we'll talk about communication a little later, and I, I knew our communication uh, you know, wasn't exactly accurate from his, from his standpoint. And I said, um, now if you're talking about unmarried people, you know, there's a, a, a lot less of a number that I shared with him. He didn't come Sunday. So uh, uh, there was enough less that he didn't show up Sunday. But 
here's what we need to look at when we're talking about single. That's not how God defines single. Now, we've taken that scripture and we've projected it like that's what he said. God said, it was not good for man to be alone. Here's what we've said. God said, it wasn't good for a man to be single. Now, when you look at how single is defined, it means separate, unique, and whole. Did God not want you to be separate and whole? That's why he made Adam and he made Eve. Eve never became Adam and Adam never became Eve. They were separate, unique, and whole. And so we need to make sure that our terminology is right. Sometimes uh, it breaks down in being able to solve things because we don't really use the same definition for things. So God certainly made them single, unique, and whole. What he did say, though, was not good for man to be alone. You see, I think sometimes our intentions are to make sure everybody gets married. Not everybody wants to get married. Now we ought to make sure that everybody is single, unique, and whole, and we certainly ought to emphasize they be married to Christ. But some people just don't want to get married. In fact, the Lord said that that was okay. He said some people are, are made eunuchs by the hands of man. Some people are born eunuchs. And some people choose to be eunuchs for the kingdom's sake. The Apostle Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that he had a right to lead around a wife, but he said in this present condition, under that condition, that first century persecution, it'd be better under those conditions for people not to be married. He told them the, uh, the details of how they should address that if they wanted to be married, but he's saying if you're going to be persecuted every day, It'd be harder on you if someone's persecuting your family and complicating your family life. You could survive better without being married. So there are conditions there that people ought to be left alone. Sometimes when, when people are kind of felt like, okay, something's wrong with me because, you know, I'm, I'm not married. That's where the, the singles emphasis has come in among us. They say, all right, it's not good for folks to be unmarried, so let's get all the unmarried people together and let's put them in the same room as often as we can and, and maybe they'll uh, work it out. Now, here's what we need to do. Is make sure everybody gets busy working at becoming single, unique, and whole. In the likelihood they're going to run right smack dab into some other single, unique, and whole person, they're going to say, hey, you function on your own and I can function on my own and we kind of like the same things and head in the same direction. And uh, why don't we share life together? And then they follow the purpose and plan. So let's get those things separated out. Alone means exclusive, isolated, and solitary. Adam was the only one of his kind. Not good to be alone. Now Adam, if had not had Eve, he wouldn't have anybody to socialize with, would he? Now, this is more than a socialization. This is a procreation process that, that God wanted to happen from that point on. But in our society, we, we've got all kinds of, of ways not to be alone. 
in our fellowship with each other. And so let's not force people in the situation and then they have marital problems because they just thought they had to get married in those conditions. The ingredients of that oneness is giving birth to a, a relationship. Um, again, we'll drill down on all these uh, a little bit more later, but let me just give you a, a for instance. Uh, when Denise and I were going to have our first child, I was ecstatic. You know, I just thought, it's going to be a boy. It's going to have green eyes like me, and boy, I can't wait to teach it how to play ball, and I had all these things. I had this photograph of our first child being a boy, and he was already big enough you can take a picture of. I mean, I, uh, I had all these things worked out. Are you surprised he didn't come here like that? He cried at night. He sold himself. It wasn't in the photograph. It, that's not what I, I took a picture of. That's, that's not how he's going to look. And his mouth wasn't open. His skin wasn't red. And, and he didn't make a mess of himself. That wasn't the photograph I took. But he's here now. I mean, that son that I wanted and I prayed for, and he's here. And he's loud and he's constant. You know what? If you don't respond to that, you know, he's going to keep crying to a point. You neglect that cry long enough, you know what's going to happen? He's going to stop crying. If the neglect's long enough and deep enough, child won't survive. But once he was here, he was here. Our relationship's that way sometimes. When we say I do, it's here. Now we may have this little photograph in our mind and we're going to be floating around on a cloud and you know the birds are going to be chirping you know, and everybody that sees it, that's the most beautiful couple I've ever seen. And There may be a lot of unhappiness in other couples, but we're just going to always be ecstatically happy. That's the photograph we take. That's right. And then it gets here and it cries. I mean... You begin to say, wait a minute, I, I thought we were going to always be happy, and there's crying going on. What's that all about? Sometimes it soils itself, doesn't it? We, we say and do things that it just really gets cold at the, at the table. It gets cold when you go to bed. And it kind of soils itself, and you think, well, uh, that's, that's not... That's not the photograph that I had in my mind. That's not, that's not the relationship we we're going to have. And, but if we ignore that crying, it's going to either keep crying or neglect it long enough, it will stop crying. You know, one thing, let me just share this. I don't want to get too sidetracked. Um, let me, when you... Uh, there's nothing uh, worse to me, I guess, when, when child rearing and uh, back when we were raising ours, uh, you had cloth diapers. That just wasn't a fun experience. I had just no way to really dress that up. You know, you had to use those diapers again. And so if you're going to use them again, you've got to remove what's in the diapers so you can use them again. You've got to wash them. Uh, I had some preacher friends, you know, they'd say, oh, and that's, that's just, I, I don't change diapers. And I said, why not? Well, I, I don't do that. And they would, if their wife went to the grocery store, they would put up with that smell until the 
wife got back. I thought, as soon as I get that odor, I don't want to smell it anymore. And so I'm going to wash that diaper out. If I'm the only one there, the diaper's not going to remain. We're going to get rid of that. But you see, when you don't have that response to relationship, sometimes it's just not pleasant. Now, you can either change that, do something about that, or you can either put up with the odor, the dysfunction, or you can just neglect it long enough and it won't, it won't happen anymore. It'll be over. But you've got to live with the neglect caused it. So can't do that. And that reason you're here this weekend to say, no, I, I don't want to ever do that. I want to have everything that relationship is designed to have in marriage. And I want to be everything I'm supposed to be. And, and I want to help my spouse. I want to help my, my children. I want to help my parents. I want to help our family be everything we need to be. But there's nothing more pleasant to me that once I went to the trouble to change those diapers and wash that little baby up, did you use that little Johnson's baby lotion, that little pink thing? I love, that just, that smells so much better. And so if I could change those diapers and wash that little baby and, and boy, they just, now they're happy and I'm holding their little hair slicked down and they'd smell just like Johnson's baby lotion. And that's a lot better to me. That's a lot more pleasant to me. And the same is true in our relationship. Sometimes my, my, uh, wanting to be right or wanting to, uh, to get something selfishly and it's going to cause that relationship to be strained but there's nothing more pleasant in a relationship to if you have to just say you know uh, I shouldn't have spoken that way no that, that's not how I intended to treat you no that's not that's not proper and that's not right and then the relationship can, can mend the same is true in the laws that govern the growth and development. If our children don't meet those little don't meet those little benchmarks, you take them to the doctor and say they're just not growing like they're supposed to. We get really panic stricken, don't we? And if we go to the doctor multiple times and they say, you know, I'm really concerned about that. You know, they they're really really underweight, and and you know they ought to be crawling by now, and they ought to be doing this by now. Then then we just really pull all the fire alarms. And say, well, can you recommend some specialist? You know, what, what do we do about it? We don't just say, oh well. But sometimes when our relationship doesn't develop like it ought to, we ignore the benchmarks. You know, the, the Jewish men were given a year off from, from outside work. Sometimes we read that, so you don't have to do anything for a year. That's not what it said. They didn't have to go to war. They didn't have to do external things from the relationship. But they had a year to make sure the relationship was functioning right, that they, they could get to know their wives and cheer them up. Because there's supposed to be a growth process so that after that year, they go about functioning like everybody else. But if that doesn't happen... We don't always get excited about it. Uh, we don't get panic-stricken. And maybe we just develop a pattern around it. So keep those things in mind. What we'll talk about uh, uh, later is some of these things. I'll just put the acrostic up there for you to look, and we're going to, um, what we'll do is give you about a two-minute break. Don't go anywhere. And um, give me a chance to get the other slide up, and then we'll spend the rest of our evening uh, going over uh, those things that we face sometimes in our relationship.
<clears throat> that are most prominent. What Denise and I see all the time in counseling, I'm sure Brother Bob uh, has some similar experiences. But one of the assignments that I give couples when they come in is uh, in the lessons and giving birth to a relationship, um, I share this acrostic with them. And in the lesson they read uh, together, it deals with each of these items, commitment, honesty, responsibility, independence, sensitivity, temperance, uh, impressionable, active, and nurturing. And all those qualities come from God's design, but when you put them all together, you know, it spells Christian. You take the first letter of each one of those, and so we're striving to be a Christ-like person, to be a whole person, and therefore have that Christ-like relationship with our spouse like he does with his bride. So that's what it looks like. Um, what we'll ask you to do is, is take a, a two-minute break. If you need to stretch, if you don't need to, just stay where you are and give me a chance to, to get ready for the next, next session. All right? <clears throat>